Hey everyone, this is Chad. Thanks for stopping by to listen to our newest sermon. It will play in just a minute. But before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of something really cool. At Creekside, we partner with a great organization called Embrace Oregon to help support and bless foster kids and families in our area. During the Christmas season, we place special emphasis on creating welcome boxes for kids. You can learn about those at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash welcome boxes. But let me just say they're an incredible way to bring joy to a foster kid. We know that not all of you or even most of you who listen to this podcast are in our area. So we want to invite you to contribute to this project by donating. You can go to creeksidebiblechurch.org slash give. And if you select Embrace Oregon under the heading four, then all of that money will go directly to creating welcome boxes. We would absolutely love to have you partner with us in this. Again, thanks for listening. I hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. I'm not going to talk very long today, but I I do want to look at a passage of Scripture that I think is so important. And if you're anything like me, then you you have a tendency to take the spiritual lightly. And I don't know if that's everybody here, but the modern kind of American Christian way is that the spiritual things of the world, and even not of the world, uh, are taken pretty lightly, and uh, we just treat them as though they're they're not important, or they're not scary, or uh, they're not real even. And we see that maybe most at Christmas, right? Like, we go through the Christmas holidays, and if I was not a Christian person, I would be thinking, there's a bunch of people that I know that call themselves Christians that say, Jesus is the reason for the season. We believe that God was born during Christmas. And then they act just like everybody else at Christmas. Like they don't come to church and they don't even want to have church on Christmas. And, uh, and they, they go through the motions and then they get to Christmas morning and the presents and the family and the food. And that's what they're excited about. And it just shows, right? Like the spiritual side of Christmas even When we as Christians, we who are Christians, say it's all about Jesus' birth, even then we take the spiritual lightly. And so I want to read some verses today, and it's one passage. Uh, It's Revelation 12, 1 through 6. And uh, if you know anything about Revelation, it's super weird, but it's also super deep, so deep that that you just read it and you think, I have no idea what happened. Uh, And so I just want to look at six verses, and I think... I think if nothing else, then we can leave here going, oh, this Christmas thing is a big deal. It shouldn't be taken lightly. Maybe that's all we'll we'll get from it. But wow, there's something going on here that cannot be ignored and should not be taken lightly and should not be treated uh, as though it's unimportant. Now, John is the guy who wrote the book of Revelation and been around our church. If you've been at church the last few weeks, we've been studying what John says about Christmas and he uses the metaphor of light to describe really what happened when Jesus was born, that light came to earth. And that's revelation, like the revelation of God to people and wisdom and truth and that which is good. It all came when Jesus was born because when Jesus was born, 
God became a man. And that same author, John, in a letter he wrote called 1 John 1, 5, said this, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And then John, after being exiled to an island called Patmos because he was a Christian and, and, and people were trying to shut him up from sharing the Christian story with others, after that takes place, John writes another book in the Bible called Revelation, and it's crazy and it's weird. And he tells us the Christmas story in the weirdest way possible. Revelation 12, 1 through 2 says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, let me tell you something about Revelation. There's not a single verse in Revelation that doesn't have like a hundred different opinions about what it means. But uh, just quickly, a couple of ideas about who this woman is because it's really important to the passage. Uh, One, the worst one by uh, a lot of modern Protestant scholars, actually a few modern Protestant scholars, is that the woman is the church. That's wrong. Uh, it's just, a, it's a bad theological viewpoint to have about this passage. It's, it's really basically people taking what they already think about Revelation and trying to shove that meaning into this passage. But the better idea uh, is, a better idea is that it's Mary, and some people would even see it as Eve going way back and then the connection to Mary. But let me give you the the best idea about who this woman is. The woman is representative of Israel, all of Israel, including Eve, who was like the first Israelite, the first woman at all, and then Mary, who actually physically gives birth to Jesus, but all of the other Jewish people. And so the idea that we see in this passage is that the Jewish people have delivered the Messiah, Jesus, God in human form, has delivered him to us. And it even says that they cried out in pain. And the reality is for the Jewish people that they longed for and looked for a Messiah who would set things right for them for hundreds and thousands of years. And if you go back and you read the Old Testament in the Bible, it is a story of tragedy in a lot of ways for the nation of Israel It seems like they get things right for a little bit, then they get things wrong and God punishes them and they end up in exile or they end up hurting and they end up poor and broke and struggling with famine and disease and all of these things. And so while they waited, and we forget this because we live past Jesus, but the time leading up to Jesus, history was a time of pain like that of labor, like a woman who's going through a pregnancy It was difficult, it was a struggle, and then this baby is delivered. Now, one of the reasons that that it seems like it's Israel and not just Mary, not just Eve, uh, is because of Genesis 37, 9, and uh, I'm not going to tell you the story because because I said it would be a short sermon, but a guy named Joseph, if you know him, it's a great story. Go read Genesis. Most of Genesis has the story of Joseph, and uh, there he says, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing to me. And, and this dream ends up being the patriarchs. It's a reference to the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. And so when we see this woman surrounded by these stars, the Israelites all would have known like, we are the ones who delivered this, this child. And the Jews who were Christians would have known that they were the ones who delivered to the world this child that is Jesus, the true Messiah. 
And in Revelation 12, 3 and 4, John says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. This is a Christmas idea, right? Here's the woman, Israel, Mary, about to give birth. And we don't think about this much, but... But the idea, the concept is that Satan was waiting at that manger. He was waiting in that barn when Jesus was born because he wanted to do away with Jesus uh, immediately. The red dragon in this section of scripture is Satan. And red symbolizes, uh, Revelation's weird because colors and numbers, they all symbolize different things. And you have to try to figure that out. It's like a puzzle. But red symbolizes bad, murderous, evil, blood a lot of times in the book of Revelation and death. And, And so Satan is seen here connected to the Old Testament prophecy in Daniel and it shows that he has political power and he has, he, uh, he has some might, he has some rule and reign on our earth and his goal, as it has always been, is to thwart the ways of God. When you read this, you can't help but see the beginning of the Bible in it and the beginning of the Bible, man and woman were created and, and God created them perfectly and even more sinlessly and told them not to eat of fruit in the garden and and Satan shows up as a serpent. He likes lizards and reptiles it seems but he shows up as a serpent and he he convinces these people to go against the ways of God and and here Jesus shows up to save people for God and it tells us just right here that his goal at the very beginning was to get rid of Jesus. Now, what's so interesting to me as we've done this series is that we've seen that Jesus is the light. He's good, and he's the revelation of God's will on earth, and he's the one that brings us eternal life if we'll believe in him and and all of those things. But in the Bible, Satan is referred to as in terms of darkness. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it tells us that if we're Christians, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the the spiritually dark forces, to paraphrase what Paul writes for us there. And it's so interesting to me that, that even at the beginning of Jesus' life, the darkness, Satan, his whole goal was the same as it has always been, and that is to snuff out the light. And we kind of know that, right? Because when we celebrate Christmas normally and we're not reading in the book of Revelation, aren't we kind of celebrating this incredible birth narrative where a man and a woman who are poor and broke are told to go to a city that's far away from home and and they travel on a donkey, at least in our version of the story, and they get there and there's no room for them in the end and so they have to go out into a a barn and she delivers the baby in a barn and, and then lays him in a feeding trough. It just seems like everything is stacked up against this baby's survival. Now that I have one and, and one on the way, it seems like it's like they could die like every two seconds, it feels like a baby, you know? Like it is difficult to keep a baby alive. Hazel swallowed her first like non-swallowable thing this week. She survived. But uh, it's like like you spend half your time, especially at Christmas, because there's needles that hang ornaments and there's little trinkets and other kids are playing with small things that will choke 
your kid to death. I mean, it's hard to keep a baby alive, and then you magnify that with the diseases and the, the barn and just the grossness of being with animals. And you can see, we, we see the power of God in the story of Jesus' birth, but what maybe we should also see is the work of Satan trying to end the life of Jesus before it ever really gets started. The darkness wanted to snuff out the light. And Satan used the powers of the world to make that happen. In fact, in Matthew 2.16, we read this. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, you know the Magi, the wise men, the three kings, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Satan used Herod and Herod's evil ways that were probably driven by Satan in the first place in order to try to snuff out the light. Now, here's just kind of my my philosophy in life, one of my philosophies. If Satan is trying to do it or he's for it, I should be like on the opposite team. You know, I should be going the opposite direction. I should, I should not think like him. And if, if Satan took so seriously trying to end the life of Jesus, then I should celebrate and proclaim and feel passion about the very existence of Jesus. It's incredible that Jesus was born and Satan knew that it was incredible and he knew that it would go against all of his plans, plans that are at work in your life and in our world and and sometimes become so clear to see. Like, I mean, Satan is all about death and we see that all the time, don't we not? I mean, we have shootings almost all the time in our country today. We don't even talk about a lot of them. We just talk about the bigger ones. You can see how Satan just wants evil and bad and exists. And, And Jesus came to do something about that. I was thinking about this, that during Christmas, even the most staunch atheists, the people who, who don't think Jesus was real even, they still, at Jesus' birth, think that everybody should try to do their best to live a better life. And to me, it's like just Satan losing the battle for at least one month a year where everybody goes, we should be about joy and taking care of our fellow men and, and families should be better during this time of year. It's like, well, you embrace for one out of 12 months some of the very reasons that Jesus came for so that we could have joy and peace and so that our families could be healed and and so that good could exist and all of that. And Satan tried to end it before it began. But it didn't work. Shortest version of the Christmas story, the life of Jesus is in Revelation 12, 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, Jesus, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. That's how we know it's Jesus because that's said about Jesus elsewhere. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Pretty much he covered the birth of Jesus and the resurrection slash ascension of Jesus when he went back up into heaven. And I think this is what John's probably thinking. Like he had to handwrite everything back then and and he had already written a whole gospel. And then he's gotta be thinking like, I'm not gonna write all that down again. My hand was sore. And so you know the story, like Jesus is born, Jesus dies, he rises again and he goes back up into heaven. In John's word, she gave birth, and then he was snatched up to God. That's the short version of Jesus right there. Woman gave birth, Jesus was snatched up to God. Now, snatched up sounds so negative, but it does, in fact, encompass the gospel story. 
And I just said it quickly in a joking way, but let's get it down. Jesus is born. Satan hates it, doesn't want it to happen. And, and in fact, it's so fascinating because we don't know much about Jesus' life, but, but like one of the first things we see Jesus do when he's an adult, 30-ish years old, one of the first things that we see is he goes out into a desert and Satan tempts him horribly. And Satan tries to stop him from being the true light of the world. He tries to stop the mission of Jesus by tempting him to give up on that mission and it does not work. Jesus lives sin. He dies on a cross for our sin. A moment that, in fact, is so fascinating. The world goes dark. Like, literally, there was darkness when Jesus died. And then Jesus rises again from the dead, and he ascends to his Father after being witnessed to and about by hundreds and hundreds of people. And so John, this is what John knows. He knows that Satan fights against Jesus and the light, but he also knows what we've already looked at in this sermon series in John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. A professor of mine said this, therefore, wherever we look, the mystery of Christmas is linked to the danger and to the ancient conflict between good and evil. That's what I want you to hear this morning. You go, Christmas, Jesus born, that's great, all of that stuff. But what I want you to hear is that the Christmas story is a reminder of this major conflict between good and evil, and it forces us to take a side. Will I be on the side of good, light, or will I be on the side of evil, Satan? And then this crazy thing happens that's so important to your life. In Revelation 12, 6, It says, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. It's interesting because we see that she goes into the wilderness and then we see in the next verse, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Here's what John is saying. John is saying, Satan's always fought against Israel because he knew that the Messiah would come through them. But it didn't work. Jesus was born. The light came into the world. And he was so mad at the woman, the Jewish people, that he wanted to torture them more. And we see, I mean, if you just look at history, you don't need a Bible, look at history and look at what happens to the Jewish people immediately, almost immediately in history after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. They are decimated. Jerusalem is destroyed by the Roman people. Satan was ticked off that he could not stop the birth and the work of the Messiah. And so he sets about to hurt the Jewish people. And we see that still, right? The Jewish people are the most hated group of people, the most hated nation on earth. And it's always been that way, and I believe it's that way because Satan is still mad that he couldn't stop the light from coming into the world. But the other part is more pertinent to you. And that is that Satan now wages war, that's how John describes it, against the rest of her offspring. That's everybody who's a Christian. Satan tried to snuff out the light by causing Israel to disobey God in the Old Testament. Satan tried to snuff out the light by killing Jesus, by by making it so that Jesus' sin didn't work. Satan tried to snuff out the light of Jesus by having Jesus crucified, didn't work. Jesus got out of the grave. Satan now, this is how Satan is currently trying to snuff the light out, how he's trying to fight against good. He's waging war against you who are Christians. And it's so interesting because we take the spiritual so lightly, but 
the Christmas story, the weird version in the book of Revelation, just declares to you and I who follow Jesus, who live for Jesus, the war is not over. And the light shines in you. That's what John says in John 12, 46. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If you're a Christian, the light is coming to you. Wisdom and revelation and, and goodness and uh, just morality, it's all come into you. But the story of Christmas didn't end at Christmas because offspring was produced. We who have entered into the family of God, we carry the light within us. And Satan is waging war against us. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it's the last verses I'm going to read. This is what it says to Christians. You are the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and, give, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, here's what Christmas should do every year for us. It should be a reminder that the Christmas story is a story of good versus evil. And good won the round of Jesus. But Satan is still fighting the battle and it's coming directly at you. And it should be a reminder that we, as Jesus declared in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, now have a job and that's to let the light shine and not to let Satan put it out. Christmas should be a reminder, the Christmas story should be a reminder that Satan is battling against you. He wants to cause you to sin. He wants you to not talk about Jesus. He wants you to not celebrate Jesus. He wants you to be depressed and not joyful. He wants to redo, undo all the work that Jesus has done in the world and that work has been done in your life. He wants to stop it. He wants to reverse it. He wants to undo it all. And it's your job at Christmas and every time of year, to continue to fight the battle that has been waging for thousands of years, a battle between darkness and light. And we do disservice to the battle and our side if we take it lightly because Satan's not taking it lightly and if you do, then the darkness will overpower the light within you, not the light in this world because Jesus is still bigger and stronger than Satan but it will overpower the darkness in you. So I want everybody to hold up a finger. And I just want you to know this. I want you to do this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Sing it with me. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. That wasn't really with me, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> Let me pray for you guys. And then we're going to do one more song that I think kind of summarizes this and then uh, have a donut and a coffee and, and uh, celebrate Christmas with your families. Lord, thank you that, that you give us just so many different uh, passages of Scripture. You communicate in so many different ways and they speak powerfully to a lot of things, Lord. Uh, but they speak powerfully to the Christmas story here in Revelation that, that this is not a a deal that we can take lightly. It is really a spiritual battle. It is spiritual warfare, God. And it's been waging long before we got to this earth, but it's now being waged against us. And I pray, God, that we would be people who would fight the battle 
and we would let our light shine. Even today as people are going to leave here and go and be with families that don't love you, uh, maybe this week have more Christmas parties, New Year's Eve parties, I pray that the light would shine out of those of us that love you, Jesus, and we would not let Satan win the battle. We know that you're going to win the war. We know that. We know that you win the war. But Lord, let Satan not win the battle in us. And God, I pray that your light would shine out of us as we bring you worship and glory and honor as we do our best to live our lives for you. Jesus, um, just last thing, I just think about how we dedicated Maddie today and really what we're, we're asking for Maddie and, and what we're asking for all of us is that, uh, that Jesus, we would live in the light. So let us bask in your light and let us live in your light. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for coming here despite the battle. In your holy name, amen.